Well, it is great to see everybody. I'm excited to be back again in the saddle. If you've only started coming three weeks ago, you might think um, I'm the senior pastor. That's not true. Um, I've been here three weeks, uh, but Dan is our senior pastor, and he'll be back in three more weeks. So we're, we're, we're in this together for a little while longer. But can I just be honest? I've loved being able to go through this text together. And I just want to say, and I want to acknowledge right from the get-go, last week, there were, there, were, there were some tough stuff. And many of you reached out during the course of the week and said, I want to talk to you about what I'm struggling with, what I'm going through. And I just, just want to be thankful to a community of people who take seriously the Word of God. And that's my prayer for us as we get going today as well, that we would, we would look clearly at the Word of God and see how we might be able to put it into our lives. So let's pray together, and then we'll get right into it. Father, we are so thankful that we have the opportunity to come together once again to come under the authority of your word, your word that is not deficient in any way, that teaches us, that guides us, that shows us how we should go, Father. We ask that you would mold us into the kind of followers, the kind of runners you would want us to be. Help us, God, to see Jesus as more supremely valuable than anything that this world has to offer. And God, as we do that, we pray that you would bind us together as a community centered around the gospel and grace, that we would love each other well as we run together. And we pray that for your glory and our benefit. Amen. It will be helpful this week to have a little bit of an image in your mind as we move forward into this text. There is a word up there that starts, therefore, which means it's connected to last week. And last week was all about the discipline of God, that discipline comes from the Lord, and in first service, I didn't do as good of a job as I did in second service of describing what that discipline is, so let me just say for a minute, the discipline of the Lord is not necessarily a smackdown. There can be correction, but it's teaching, it's guiding, it's leading, it's molding, okay? So I just wanted to say to first service, I apologize if you left, and you're just like, man, what does discipline mean? It's God's intervention in our, in our lives, his loving, guiding intervention that draws us to him and, by the way, teaches us what it is to be holy. That's discipline, and there's a therefore connected to that. And before we get to the therefore, I want to get just a little bit of a picture in your mind because I think it will be helpful as we move forward. And I don't have a specific event of this, but I think we've all seen something like this before where we're either watching a race or we're watching somebody go around a track, or we're watching the end of a marathon, and we've probably seen this on, you know, online somewhere, that one of the runners starts to falter. Maybe one runner trips up another runner, and they both fall in the Olympics, right? And both of their dreams are dashed, and they go on, someone wins, but those two put their arms around each other, and they both limp to the finish line. Do we've ever seen something like that before online? Or the, the runner who every muscle is starting to twitch in their body and they don't think they can make one more step. And then somebody who's further ahead of the race goes backward, puts their arm around them, speaks into their ear and tells them, you're going to get to the end. If you have that image in your mind today, that's a little bit like what this is all about. My whole goal today is to show us what it looks like when we run in a pack together towards the promise of God. That Today, running your race of faith is not an individual sport. It is not something that you say, I got to get there as fast as I can by my own effort. We are part of a gospel community. God has given people here in Parkway together and in the church universal to help us run. 
Last week we learned that all of us in the Christian life are going to be wounded in some way by God's discipline. However that comes, there is gonna come a time in your life when you are that wounded runner. You've been either tripped up and you're walking with a limp or your muscles are so fatigued that you might give up. This week the therefore is, guess what? You don't have to run alone. There are people that are gonna come alongside you that are gonna put their arms around you that say, that little ankle that hurts, yeah, I'm gonna relieve some of that pressure and we're gonna go together. That's the goal. That's what I wanna look at today and I wanna do that by first showing in the text why I believe that this is communal. If you look at verse 12, uh, good job, Michael, way to go. If you look at verse 12, it says, therefore, so we know that this is connected to discipline, therefore lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. That is actually from Isaiah chapter 35. And when we read your, most of the time, we read your as an individual command. So there's a time of discipline coming or there's going to be things in your life that are gonna happen so you individual Christian lift up your shoulders, brace your knees for impact because it's coming. But this is that misses the larger promise and I think the larger context of where the writer of Hebrews is pulling this from. And I believe that it comes from Isaiah chapter 35 and I wanna read for you those words. It's in verse three and four. It says, strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, say to those who have an ancient heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with a vengeance, with the recompense of God, he will come and save you. So the your is not an individual, the your is plural. You all be strengthening each other as you run the race. You all at some point will go through a trial. You all at some point will have a limp. You all at some point might have a gash that is open and festering. When that happens, brothers and sisters, you have people in your life that surround you that say, this is purposeful. God will save his people. God never leaves his people alone to fend for themselves. And there are people that remind you, not by only taking the burden and saying, oh, it's gonna get better now, but reminding that there is something better yet to come. Because isn't that exactly the promise that we need to hear? In the moment, not that I'm strong enough to endure, no. God provides strength. It says, all who wait on the Lord will have their strength renewed. That's a promise of the scripture. All who wait on the Lord will have their strength renewed. Sometimes we need to remind one another of that. Isaiah chapter 35 in particular is a great messianic text, and this is written to a, uh, a people group, a covenant people of God, the Israelites, who in that moment were in exile. In that moment, they were wondering, can we continue to be in exile? Where is God in the midst of this? What is God doing? I don't see how it's gonna work out. I'm in exile here. I'm not where I should be. We should be in the promised land, but we've been removed. What's the purpose? What's the point? Why is this happening? And God's words cut through like a sharp knife through butter. Behold, I am coming. God's promise is ironclad because he makes a promise by his own word. There is nothing, Hebrews tells us, that God can promise that's greater than himself, so he gives oath and he swears by himself. So God says in Isaiah 35, there is a day coming exile when ultimately your restoration will come. 
And that's the imperative that the author of Hebrews then picks up. What are we supposed to do when we go through trial? What are we supposed to do when we're going through pain points? What are we supposed to do when we're being disciplined and we don't think we can keep going? We remind one another of the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God and that through Jesus he has and will and is going to redeem his people. Jesus is the great forerunner. Jesus is the author, the sustainer, and the finisher of faith. Sometimes we need to wrap ourselves around someone else who's struggling and say, Jesus is better than what you're going through. Jesus is more worth whatever that's happening right here. Don't lose sight of the goal. Don't miss the picture. Don't fail here. Don't falter. Brace up underneath it. But that's not all that it says. There's a second part here. Uh, go back one more, Michael. Pretty good job. It says, and make straight paths for your feet. So I, I'm a California boy through and through, and I went to Bible school in Saskatchewan, Canada. And in Saskatchewan, Canada, they've got a lot of shortcuts to places, and those shortcuts often happen on gravel roads. Now, I was a guy who hunt, I used to hunt and fish, and we would go like into Twin Sisters, and we would go onto Grizzly Island. And so I'm like, oh, I've had some experience with off-road things. And one day at Bible college, a group of guys are like, hey, we're going to Saskatoon. For what reason? I have no idea. It's just not Bible school, so let's go to Saskatoon, which, by the way, is about three hours away from there, and we're going to drive a gravel road the whole time. So we're, we're together and we're driving and I'm, I'm behind the wheel and uh, the guys in front of us are all Canadian farm boys and they ask the question, they're like, you guys do gravel? And we're like, do I do gravel? Yeah, I do gravel. I've, done, I've been off road, California isn't all surfing. I'm rough and tough. Well, it took about five minutes on gravel roads, which by the way, these, the, if you've ever driven on gravel, in those roads, and it's sort of fresh, you know that if you like, so you all of a sudden you start like fading to one direction, you're like, I'm not moving my hand, why is my car going this direction? I don't understand what's happening, right? And so they start getting way ahead of us, they're way ahead of us, and eventually they stop at a stop sign, and we're looking at each other and we're like, I guess we don't do gravel. I guess we don't do gravel. We stopped at the stop sign, and they gave us a hint. They're like, listen, we always ride in the grooves. The grooves keep the tires there. If you come up on the walls of the grooves, it's gonna might throw you all over the place, but if you will stay in the groove, you're gonna be able to keep up with us. And that's what happened. We were like amazed, we're like, the grooves work. That's really cool, but that's also what community is. Community is the grooves. It's the safety rails. It's like people going in front of you and saying, hey, that rock is about to make you stumble. Let me bend down, pick it up, and remove the obstacle. Because here's the idea of the goal. Don't move it, Michael. The goal here, it says, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. The goal is, in communal running, that that weak member, that whatever is lame, whatever is hurt, isn't further injured, but it instead has the time to heal. If you wonder why God brings people together, why there is such an, a need for gospel and gracious community in a church, it's for this reason. It's for healing, and that's God's desire. But all too often, we think that a gospel culture means I'm going to call out the sin of another person rather than wrap around them and see that they're wounded, but I want them to be healed because that's what God wants for them. 
God doesn't want that wounded ankle to step on its own. You, how many people have done this? You've hurt your foot, and then everything you do for the next week hurts the foot again. You're like, how did I hit that foot again? Here's the idea. Our community of faith, us, our gospel community, helps each other to be like, hey, uh, be careful. That's going to hurt your ankle. That's the idea. This is, this is what the therefore is there for. It's all coming for all of us. Sometimes we're the runner who's got a lot of breath left in the lungs. Sometimes we're, our muscles are like, man, I can go for a good 5K right now. And other of us come in the door and we're like, I don't know if I can make another step. Well, guess who needs to link up? The person who's ready to go and say, listen, come to my house. Let's have lunch. Let's hang out. Let's do a cup of coffee. Let's remind each other of who Jesus is and his superiority and the fact that he is so much better. That's what it means to run in a pack. Michael, you can move to the next one. But running in a pack looks not only like reminder, there's actually action. Like loving each other well in a gospel community means that we do something together. It isn't like, hey, I'm just reminding you. It's also uh, comprised of other things. And there's three things in the text that I think we're going to learn today. But before I do that, I just want to point out a couple things in the text. The first one in verse 14 where it says, strive for peace. Strive for peace. We don't know whether or not when you read that, is that like I should strive for peace on my own? Remember, this is a communal text. In the Greek, this word is both plural and present. Meaning this isn't a singular operation. This isn't me only striving. This is collectively as a body of Christ. This is collectively as a pack of runners. We are to pursue peace. When? Just in the future? No, it's a present tense plural, which means, and maybe this is an easier way to put it, be pursuing together. That's a helpful way to look at that. So be pursuing together peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Be pursuing together. Well, what does that look like? It tells us in 15, see to it that no one. That see to it that no one, that Greek word is episkopeo. That word basically is where we get the word episkopos, which is elder, overseer, the person who shepherds the flock. Now, in, that, in this particular case, it's not meaning that we should all be many shepherds. It means that the goal of a shepherd is oversight, to watch out for, to have each other's back. This is episcopeo. The see to it, the see to it here means we are watching each other's back. Our arms are linked. We're back to back. We're in the trenches. We're going on this race together. And there isn't going to be a runner lost because we're watching out for each other. See, what's interesting also, if you look in your English text, there's a lot of periods. But in the actual Greek manuscript, there is only one period, and it comes at the end of verse 16, which means the see to it that no one fails to obtain. See to it that no one becomes a root of bitterness. And see to it that no one is like Esau. It's all connected to the main point of pursue peace together. 
You ever thought about that for a second? Pursuing peace in the context of Christian community doesn't mean I just keep my mouth shut when I see something going on. And it just doesn't mean what's good for them is good for them and what's good for me is good for me. And as long as we don't say anything to each other, we have peace. The problem is that's not actual peace and that's not actually running together. That's two individuals who happen to be on the same track. But what are we meant to do? Link arm in arm, run step with step because guess what? A falter may come. And so peace actually means I'm genuinely invested in the people who God has brought here. I'm genuinely invested in the people who God has brought into my life. I'm genuinely invested with all the people who are believers who have surrounded my life. And we pursue peace together in each other's life to prevent these things from happening. You ever thought about peace in the Christian context looking like that? Or is it more just like, well, what's good for them is good for them. They can sort of have that over there, and I'm good over here on my own. That's not how it works. So there are three things that we're told. There are three ways that we need to be pursuing peace, and the, and the goal in pursuing this peace is that, that there is a prevention of what could happen here. There's three things that need to be prevented, and so I wanna look at those, and the first one, comes in verse 15 and it says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. See, the context of this Hebrew church, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, was that they were people that had come out of Judaism, they had come out of that lifestyle, and they had been told, and they worked their life, sorry, not worked their life, they, they uh, created their life around the central message of the gospel that, that Christ has come and through grace and faith they are building a life and they are moving towards the ending place, which is the city of God. Right, this is, here's the idea. The, there's pilgrimage imagery in the book of Hebrews and it might be helpful to think about that. Like Moses led the Israelites through the wilderness to the promised land. So Jesus leads his church on the great highway of holiness on the way to the city of God. That's kind of the picture here, right? And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, there are people among you who are on this highway to holiness that have been drawn out of another life that now through persecution, now through pain, now through suffering are looking backwards and saying, I really liked the temple. And you know what? It was a lot easier when my friends all got together for the feast. See, my friends now have disowned me. My friends have been like, you can't come to temple anymore because you believe in Jesus. You can't be here. You can't be a part of it. And so some people were running the risk of saying, it's time to go backwards. And this is not a new mentality, is it? This is exactly what the Israelites felt in um, Exodus chapter 16, when they feel hunger in the wilderness for the first time, they grumble amongst themselves and they say, oh, it would have been better if we just died in Egypt because at least there we had meat pots and bread. Let's not forget that they literally cried out for God's rescue for generations, that they were under such an oppression of yoke of slavery that their cries reached the heavens. And at the moment of hunger, they collectively grumble and say, it would have been better to be slaves. Why is this important? Because we all 
have the temptation to want to go backwards. We all remember the time when I used to be in control of my life. Because when I was in control of my life, I did what I wanted to do. But now we see that God is actively part, he wants my holiness. So the things that I used to define my life by, I gotta, I gotta let them go. The fact that I used to try to save myself and justify myself, I gotta let that go. But when God is disciplining us, by the way, for our good and for our holiness, it's really easy in those contexts to be like, man, wasn't it good when I was in charge? Back when I used to be in control of my heart, let's not forget, that was slavery. And we weren't really happy, were we? And we didn't really like being in charge, which is why when the offer of grace came, when we heard that Jesus did for us what we could never do, oh, we hung on by faith. And I'm gonna tell you what, some of us need that reminder. Some of us in this Christian community today, I take it to mean if it was a temptation then, it's a temptation now. You got a foot ready to take a step forward, but you're not quite sure. Listen, if that's you, you don't keep it a secret. You don't just be like, well, I guess I'll figure it out on my own. That's not the goal. You find the tracks. You get the ruts and you go in it. You follow somebody who's running a good race and you're like, can I get in your draft? And the person says, no, no, no. Not only do you get to draft with me, you get to come up right next to me. Let's run together. Let's read the word together. Let's memorize one passage about God's goodness and faithfulness together and remember it. And let's talk about it next week. Wouldn't that be amazing? Because here's the idea. I know that in my life, I have been tempted to move away from the goal. I have been tempted and I have been overwhelmed at times to say, I don't get it. And guess what? If that's you, you're in good company because everyone feels it, including Paul, who says at one point in the scripture, we despaired even of life. We were so overwhelmed. We were despaired. We despaired even of living. We had no idea what was happening, but this happened so that we might rely on God. Some of you in this moment right now might have that same feeling. I want to quit. I don't know where, where we're going. I don't know what's happening. This is happening so that you might rely on God. Let people in your life actually know it. It doesn't have to be a secret. No one's going to think you're a failure. Everyone's going to be like, oh, you feel that way? I have too. High five. God's better. That's not the only thing that can happen. See, it's not only to fail to obtain the grace of God. There's a second one here, and it says that no root of bitterness springs up. And you notice in the text that root of bitterness is in quotations. It comes from Deuteronomy chapter 29, 18b through 19a, and I'm going to read that for you. It says, beware, lest there be any among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. Now, I want you to really pay attention to this. One who, when he hears the words of this sworn covenant, blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall be safe, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. I shall be safe, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. What is the context of Deuteronomy 29? It's the giving of the law. It's God setting his covenant with the people of Israel. It's God saying, here's all the things that I'm going to do. 
Here's all the things that I'm responsible to show up for. Here's all the things. Remember, I called you. You weren't special. I chose you. And because I chose you, I'm going to lavish myself upon you. You're going to actually be my people. I'm going to be your God. And he goes on to list all the benefits of the covenant. That's the context of this. What that means here then that there's someone who hears all of the richness of what God offers, all of the wonderful blessing of the covenant, and says, just because I'm near it and hear it means I'm safe, but my heart doesn't actually have to submit to God. If I just listen enough and nod my head enough, guess what? In my heart, I tell myself I'll be safe. But I'm actually rebellious in heart. I'm actually stubborn in heart. And the reason I bring that up is, can I be honest with you? I have been there. I have been to messages where I've heard someone preach the gospel, and I know that this happens. And if you're a Christian, this has happened to you. You know that the pastor is talking right to you. Your, your pulse is starting to raise. You feel your chest starting to pound a little bit. You hear the voice of the Spirit being, that's you, that's you, that's you. And we say, I'm good. God is tenderly drawing us out at times through the preaching of his word. Notice, let's remember, what is the goal? So that what is healed gets more spanked? No, so, sorry, that what is hurt gets, gets more hurt? No, so that what is hurt is what? Healed. God will sometimes draw out of you what will disable you. And that's a really good and gracious thing, but here's the idea. Some of us hear the word of the gospel every single week. Some of us come to church year in, year out. We hear grace. We, we, we lift our arms. We're like, yep, that's good. And we leave the doors and we say, I'm safe because mentally I believe it, but I've never submitted my heart to the Lord. Biblical Christian community is meant to be able to see that and say, I'm not sure that jives up. Because what I see on Sunday looks one way, but when I see you on Tuesday, it looks a whole lot different. And by the way, no judgment because I've been there too. I've been in the moments where I know God is calling me. I've been in the moments where I know God wants me to take a step and I've been like, nah, I'm good. I'll just hold on to that. That might even be your experience thus far in church. Your whole experience is like God just gets you right to the precipice. Take a step forward by faith. Give up that thing. That thing that you have been defining yourself by. That thing that you know you need to get rid of. Today is the day to get rid of it. And you're like, that's a good word. And you go home and you're like, turkey sounds good for lunch. This is the idea, but here's the problem. It's that it does happen. It wouldn't be brought up if it was like, something that we don't universally feel from time to time, the idea is our own hearts can deceive us into thinking we're safe when in fact our hearts are stubborn. But here's the idea, right? I don't say any of this to hurt your feelings. And I don't say any of this to be like, that's a terrible Christian. Here's the ruler. Let me smack your hand. I say, don't you know that God is better? Don't you know that Jesus is better? In week one, we all said it together. Jesus is better. Do you remember? Yes. Let's do it again on the count of three. One, two, three. Jesus is better. What is there to hold on to? Why not let the heart submit? God is calling. He's ready for it, and guess what? It's for your healing. It's for your good. It's for your holiness. Listen, some of the worst parts of my life are when I actually had to come clean for things that I've done, but 
They also became some of the best parts in my life because I finally got free of stuff that I thought I'd be held captive to forever. If you feel that that's God calling you, don't just leave and say, because I've heard it and because I agree to it in my mind, that must mean I'm safe. Talk to somebody about it. Again, this is a text about running together in a pack. We all have those emotions. We all have those feelings. We all know what it's like when that's the case. So let's love each other well enough. There's one last one. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. Genesis 35 is where we find this reference. And it starts in verse 29, and it says this. Once, when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew. Other translations say, let me eat some of that red stuff. For I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. This story of Esau selling his birthright is the story of someone who by line and by birth should have extended and should have been the next in line of the covenant promise of God. Think about this for a second. We often say as we look backwards into the Bible, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When he was born, it's Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. That's the way it was supposed to be. Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. And don't you think that Isaac probably talked to Esau from a young age and said, listen to this. Listen how great this is. We used to not be a people. And then your, your grandfather made a covenant with God. Moreover, God made a covenant with him. And then he extended that blessing to me. And guess what? There's going to come a time when you're going to be the inheritor of that blessing. So not only are you entitled to a double portion as the oldest of my material possessions, you're going to be the spiritual inheritor of a promise that God made to this family. You don't think that was a topic of conversation on Wednesday nights around the table? I guarantee you Esau knew exactly what his birthright meant. Esau knew 100% what he was in line for. But here's the moral of the story. Knowing what his birthright was worth, he was hungry. And in his hunger, he decided, you know what's better than my birthright? You know what's better than a double portion of what my father has? You know what is better then continuing the promised covenant with God, red stuff, lentils. Listen, we've all had that moment when we've been extremely hungry. Do we not know that? We have had those moments where we're in the grocery store and we should have eaten. We should have done it, but we didn't. And we're walking through and we're like, man, that looks good. That looks good. It doesn't have to look good. Listen, can I be honest? Even in those moments, lentils don't look good. You know that as well as I do. 
No one gets up in the morning, they're like, man, I can't wait to get my lento game on. It doesn't happen. <laughs> no one does that. But here's the idea. The text actually said it's red stuff. Red stuff. Birthright. Who God has made me to be. What I'm supposed to be. The promise of God or red stuff. Do you think you know why it's brought up that way? Because look what it's connected to. Sexual immorality or unholiness. You know what's here today and gone tomorrow? Your hunger. You know what's here for a moment and gone tomorrow? Whatever sexual escapade you think is going to fill you. Whatever it is that you're defining your life by, listen, our culture right now bows down to the altar of sexuality, both in the pursuit of and the definition of whatever I want to be. We say we decide, we pursue sex and however we want to do it. But here's, here's what the text is so importantly saying. It's lentils. It's lentils. That thing that you are defining yourself by, that thing you are letting your whole existence be defined by, it's red stuff in a bowl, and you are willingly and over and over again going to that as if it's going to fill you, but guess what? In the end, you just pass it through you, and it doesn't sustain. But what does sustain? The promise that was made. Here's the idea. Don't be like that. And this isn't just to pick on people who are sexually immoral. It also says unholy. What does that mean? Treating as common that which is amazing. Amen. How many of us need to hear that word? How many of us are treating that in our lives? We hear the gospel day in and day out. We hear the promises of God day in and day out. And we're more concerned about what's happening here than what God is doing now and bringing us somewhere else. When we do that, brothers and sisters, what we're saying is, I prefer lentils to what God is doing in my life. And by no means may that ever define any of us, which means, here's wrapping it all back up. If I see somebody defining their life by lentils, I'm going to do the peaceful action and the loving action of going to them and saying, you are settling for a substitute you are going after something that will not nourish you. You are going for something that will not get you to the ultimate prize. What is Hebrews written for? Jesus is better than that. Amen. He is better than that. He's taking you somewhere. That's the goal. That's the idea. And we do that by reminding each other. And here's the great part about this. There is an individual aspect to this because guess what? I'm never going to draw anybody to something that's better if I don't actually think it's better. Which means, how do I help other people run? By being a good runner myself. By having the sufficiency to look to the word of God. And when it says, Adam, you're going this way, but I want you to go that way. I say, yeah, I'm going to go that way because I know the character of God. He wants my good and my holiness so that I can get there. Notice what this text says earlier on. Without holiness... No one sees the Lord. Amen. That's what we're doing together. We're on a holy highway. We're all runners, and guess what? We're going to struggle. We're going to stumble. We're going to hurt. We're going to need the people around us to sometimes remind us of what we believe when we can't do it ourselves. And next week, Chris gets to come and deliver a message about what is so much better. And I'm like super jealous that he gets to preach it and I might have to punch him later in the arm about it. <laughs> but I have two application points for us and this is just very simple and I'll be done. Application number one is to the wounded or to the hurting or to the suffering. 
If you're here today and this is you, please be comforted by this message. I am not out to condemn you. If you're struggling, if you're in the race and you're saying it's too overwhelming and I want to quit, if you come to me and talk to me, I'm not going to be like shame, shame, shame on you. If you're held hostage by anger that it's not right that God is treating you this way and your life is your own and you should be able to do whatever you want to do. If you're stuck in the habitual cycle of sexual sin. Let's just call it what it is. If that's you, the goal is to help you understand that God wants you healed. God wants you a capable runner. The gospel is clear that all who call upon the name of the Lord in humility, all who come clean and confess, they are in fact runners. So if that's you, if you are by faith running in the race but you are struggling, man, don't leave. Do not leave this room until you tap someone on the shoulder and say, I'm stuck in something I can't get out of right now. If you're wounded, don't leave wounded. At least walking alone. You might still walk wounded, but at least you're going to have somebody in your corner. And maybe you don't know who that is. Maybe you don't know if there's someone safe here. Well, any staff member you see, any elder you see, any deacon you see, anybody who you serve with on youth staff, or if this is your first time, you can come see me. I'm dead serious about it. I'm not joking. This isn't something where you just come and say, that was a great message, Pastor, but I'm going to go watch the Niners now. No, 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 no. The Niners are lentils too. The Packers are a little bit better. Hey, anyways, no worries. Second, if you're here and you can be a pace setter, there's oxygen in your lungs. Your, your muscles are feeling good. That isn't an invitation just to go about your business. That isn't an invitation to be like, man, I'm doing great. I feel really good. It's an invitation for God to use your story for someone else. It's an invitation for you to see somebody who might be struggling and saying, listen, I can read the word with that person. I can call them on the phone. I can text them and just be like praying for you. <laughs> listen, that's pretty good stuff. Like when I'm going through something and somebody says like I'm praying for you, I'm like, you are? That's amazing. But we can do so much more than that too, right? And I don't want to define it all because I believe that God by his spirit can lead you in that way. And there's one final group. There are people in here who have yet to share their full story for fear of how it might make them look in the eyes of other people and for fear of what it might actually, that it might change the way people define you. But guess what? Maybe your story is exactly what someone who is suffering and hurting needs to hear to say, man, if God can work in that person's life in that way, then maybe he'll do the same thing with me. God isn't going to waste your wounds. He's going to use them, not only in your life, but to the benefit of other people. Let's run together. Let's run as a pack towards the promise of God. Let's pray. Father, we are so incredibly thankful for grace. We're so incredibly thankful for mercy. We're so incredibly thankful for Jesus. And God, my prayer is that as a church, that we would take the command to be unified around the main things, mainly around Jesus and the gospel, that we would take that command very seriously, that we would be a gracious and loving, arms wide open group of people that are welcoming to all who are suffering but are runners on the way. God, help us to be peace-seeking and loving in every situation. 
We love you. We are so thankful that you saved us. We pray this in your name. Amen.